Father, we thank you for this space. We thank you for this uh, hour that we have together to be able to further study your word and to allow it to just sink into us. Father, I thank you for the way that you have taught Tracy this week, for the words that you've given her, and for the thoughts that you have inspired within her. Thank you for her life that um, just so speaks so clearly of um, how you want us to live. I thank you for her passion, for your word. I thank you for the gifts that you've given her to be able to communicate. And Lord, together we do confess that we need you, and we need you every hour. And Tracy needs you this hour, and I pray for inspiration, Lord, as she shares with us all the things that you have taught her for this day. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome. Um, I bring you greetings uh, from the diaspora that is women's Bible study, because you might not realize this, but there are groups that meet at other times during the week, and I'm a part of one of those. I come and I'm so thankful I get to come on Thursday mornings, but I also am a part of a small group that meets on Zoom still, can you believe that, on Thursday evenings. We started during COVID and really kind of gelled well, and we've welcomed new folks in every year. We're not an elite group. Anyone can join, but um, so I get to after our teaching time, I get to visit and go grab my grandson. And I don't do a small group here, but I do an evening small group. And I'm struck this morning and with with Becky's faithfulness and recording, there are groups that hear this that aren't represented here this morning. So, um, I, and I bring you tidings from one of those groups. I will say it's been a bit confusing because my group's one week behind. So it really kind of, I'm, I find that I've discombobulated a lot uh, with their between their study and um, ours. But um, I also want to say that one of the things that I did yesterday or maybe even, no yesterday or maybe the day before as I was really um, focusing in and preparing is I made a list of everyone that I see here that I could remember on Thursday mornings. And um, there, I, I just, I think I got all of you all and I made that list and I prayed for y'all. And I also prayed that God would bring who needs to be here, here. So if you're here, that's, that's God, God needs you here this morning. And there's a lot of people that aren't here. And for whatever reason, God's got something else in store for them today. But I'm just, I just trust and believe that. I really pray that God would bring um, people here and that the people who listen to it will, will listen to it. Um, so I feel, I feel grateful for that already. I'm also grateful there's not many people here. That makes me feel good too. Um, now, uh, and, and then one more quick caveat a little commercial for doing this. You might think, I will never do that. Well, I will tell you, and you'll see this as I talk this morning, there is nothing that will root me in a scripture more than knowing I'm going to have to do this. So, you know, when I find out like in August that I'm going to be teaching on Cain and Abel, everything I read and think about for the next few months is filtered through this, for me, through this Cain and Abel screen. Like, how does that relate to Cain and Abel? How does that? And it's, it's really a gift. So I'm just giving a commercial. If you think, oh, I could never do that, you should for your, and this is selfish, for your, for your own personal growth because it makes you dig into a passage in a way that you probably never would because you know you're going to be teaching it. So you spend all your time thinking about it. Every time you read anything, you're like, how does that 
relate to the Cain and Abel story. And so I'm just grateful for that. That's my little commercial um, for being up here because I have a lot of different thoughts. And if anything, it was really hard to pull them all together because for the last couple of months I've been thinking about this passage. So forgive me if it does seem a bit scattershot. I did say to my husband that was kind of how I felt about it last night. Um, have any of you ever seen this book? Have you seen this book? It's a children's book, sort of. It's more an art perspective book. And I thought of it as I was thinking about today and this passage, and honestly, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and then, what the heck, the whole Bible, okay? This book is called Zoom, and it's, like I said, it's, it's, it's sort of a children's book, but it's awesome. I think a lot of art teachers have it in their art room. You start out with a picture that looks like this, and then you discover that this is the rooster, and the rooster then is part of this, which is then part of this, which is then, and the book goes on and on. So you start with this tiny thing, and you basically zoom, so that at the very end of the book, you're actually right there where we started in Genesis chapter 1. And I love this. So, it's this, so this book is you're zooming out from this one tiny little thing. And, and every, every page is connected to the page before it. And you see how this you start here and then you end up here. And I thought, you know, this captures what's happening in the first 11 chapters for Genesis for sure, and quite honestly through all of the Old Testament, where we have these far-out zooms of what God's doing, and then it's almost like you're doing this book in reverse order. It zooms in, in, in. Like, for instance, you know, we start with Genesis chapter 1, and then we go to chapter 2, and we zoom in to the garden and to Adam and to all the animals and how God places Adam there, creates woman, um, the plan for the garden. There's that zoom in pretty close. And then in chapter 3, we get to a very distinct, very close-up view of Adam and Eve's relationship with one another and with God and what God does in that moment when Adam and Eve disobey. And so today, we're still zoomed in pretty close, but we zoom out just a little bit because now we're not just looking at Adam and Eve, now we are turning to their offspring, to Cain and Abel. And we're gonna be talking about that. Believe it or not, I'm doing this again next week, and that's a crazy passage. Um, Genesis, the rest of chapter four and chapter five. But that's the chapter, these chapters are where we're really starting to zoom out. and. I am struck too, as I looked at this passage, I thought so much about how we have to, when we read this passage and when we hear what Donna talked last week and she did a good job, we have to zoom out while we're zooming into this passage because sisters, we live on the other side of the cross. And so we're hearing these stories and yet praise Jesus when we hear this story of Cain we're not where Cain was, and we can't fully identify with where Cain is because we live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of God's redemption, of the crushing of the head of the serpent, and I am so thankful for that. And so I see that zooming in today, but I'm very conscious of our zooming out. Romans 15:4 tells us, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that's my prayer for us this morning. Um, let me pray before we get started. Dear Lord, I pray that you would show us what we can learn from these moments that we zoom in and see uh, what sin has done 
and what sin is going to do in the world, and we see it here in Cain. Show us yourself and help us to zoom out and praise Jesus that we have the Holy Spirit with us today to lead us and guide us, and we pray that we would, we would see that um, in all the different nuances that are here in this story. Um, we are so grateful for the redemption of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. I had that written in one of my many scribbles and notes margins um, in the Bible study, so I'm not sure who said it. But I wrote it, and I know I didn't come up with that phrase. So it may have been Jen Wilkins. It could have been Bev Iber. It could have been Donna Muter. It could have been Carmen Garrigan. Um, but somewhere, I just want to um, make sure I footnote that. And someone said this, Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. Um, and last week, we saw the seeds of redemption at the end of chapter 3, when we, when we heard God's curse and the serpent, but his promise that Eve's offspring would crush the serpent. Um, we get to Genesis chapter 4, and in the first two verses, uh, I'm just going to read these first two verses to give, give us a sense of who, these, who the characters are here. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And next, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. Um, there's some significance here in these names, Cain and Abel. And if you'll watch Jen's talk, raise your hand if you've already watched it. Okay, yeah, so you know she talks about this. I'm going to try not to do that too much because it was so good. It's hard not to copy her, you know? Like, that, that's the struggle. I was like, can I just, like, say everything she's saying? I'm going to try not to do that, but... She makes the point here that what, what Eve's saying here is she's saying, I brought forth a man. And if you did your Bible study, if you had a chance, on page 93, question 5, she references us, she encourages us to look at 2 Corinthians 11, 11 through 12, where Paul talks about that reciprocity that's happening. Woman came from man, but guess what? Man comes from woman. And in this moment, first birth, right, Eve's recognizing that. I've brought forth a man. She knows she came from the man, and now she's brought forth a man. But Jen points out that um, she, one of the commentators that she read uh, said that, that what, what Eve's saying with this birth of her, her first child, she's saying, I have gotten a man, even the next deliverer. So if you remember that beautiful picture that Donna put up last week um, where we see... Uh, Eve, with the serpent wrapped around her, touching um, Mary's belly as Mary holds the child Jesus within her. And there's the, the great thing that's happening down there with the serpent being crushed as well. Eve is hoping for this redemption. She's heard what happened. She's heard the curse. And she's heard God say, it is from your offspring. The offspring will crush the head of the serpent. So she is hopeful. So what we can grasp here is she thinks Cain's it and we all know how sad is that that this is what she thinks Cain is it because she's just had this she wants to go back to the garden she earnestly wants to go back and so with the birth of Cain she thinks this could be the beginning and I hope that that takes the breath out of you a little bit because it's so sad isn't it that there's so much that's going to unfold I have the privilege once a week to spend a couple hours with some Afghan women 
And I do that with Kathy Barger. I do it, Kathy Barger and Andrea Chihamba and I take turns going um, once a week, each of us. And um, we are trying to teach these um, Afghan women English. And uh, I will say I'm very bad at it. And it is reflected in the lack of English that they've learned um, because they really haven't learned much. And, but I enjoy going, they like to have me there, which is so funny because they really are not, they don't speak much English regardless of how much we try to help them to speak English. They speak Pashtun and um, everyone they're with all the time, they speak Pashtun and because of their Islam faith, they don't really interact with anybody that doesn't speak Pashtun. So our little bit of time with them is it. <laughs> it's really all the English they get. And so, but they love for us to come, they cook for us, and then they all get together and then they all talk to each other in Pashtun and we're just kind of sitting there and um, they're, you know, they say your name, how is your day, all that kind of stuff. But what I am struck by, the more that I've gotten to know them and honestly, the more I've, you know, I've been like a little frustrated that they're not learning their English, um, which is probably more a reflection on the teacher, I've realized, and I don't speak Pashtun, so I can't ask, they think they're going back. I really believe, particularly these women, deep in their hearts, believe we're not here for long. Eventually, and they still have family there that they're FaceTiming, and I get to see the family there. And wow. So and of course, we all know when you hear that, you're like, mm. I mean, they're here for reasons that they had to leave because of the work that their husbands did there. They, they had to leave the country. But I can tell, and, I, and I, maybe I'm trying to um, make myself not feel bad that I'm not that great an English teacher, but I, I'm struck by their lack of interest in learning English. I think, you know, I think they think they're going back. I really think that they believe that soon they will return. And I don't speak Pashtun, so I can't ask that. But I thought about that when I thought of this with Eve. She really thinks that Cain is going to be it and that maybe they'll get back into the garden. Maybe the serpent's head will be crushed. And that, that sort of leaves me a bit breathless um, when I think about that aspect of this story. As a mother and as someone who knows what it's like to hope um, and to not see the good um, happening right away. So we know that about Cain's name. And then interestingly enough, Abel's name, we're told, means a mist or a vapor. <laughs> Sadly prophetic, but also makes you wonder a little bit at what family dynamics were happening there. Cain, everything is on Cain, right? And then they have Abel, and they give him the name Abel, which means mist or vapor. Um, and we see that they both have these two jobs. Uh, what are the jobs that are given to them? Uh, what's, what is Abel's job? He's the worker of livestock. He's a shepherd. And if you look back at Genesis 1.28, um, that's, that's a job. That's the first job that we read about that God gives man Adam and Eve in the garden at the end of Genesis 1 in verse 28 he uses that's when we had that beautiful word dominion God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it am I doing something wrong am I I'm not talking too loud oh, okay I move around I watched yeah okay I'm sorry okay sorry for those of you listening for those of you listening Becky just interrupted um <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, okay. All right. God bless them, and God's, this is Genesis 1:28. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And I loved looking at that word dominion and how it means care. It doesn't mean dominate like we think, it means care. And that was the first 
um, instruction, the first job that God doles out, and we see Cain, we see Abel being this. He is the worker of livestock. He is over the animals. And then what is uh, Cain's job? He's the farmer, right. And in Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And then at the end of Genesis 3, we understand that that's part of Adam's job is to be the gardener. It's going to get a lot, it gets a lot harder. But that is, so that is Cain, that is Cain's job. Um, Is either of these jobs more noble than the other? No, they're both jobs that are ordained by God. Now, let me read Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 and the first part of verse 5 to see what's going on here. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So what's going on here? Uh, We don't really know all of this. But we know some things about Cain, don't we? Because we know how this story is going to unfold. The rest of this story tells us that Cain's heart was not right with God. So I was struck as I looked at this passage that Cain's sin actually happens before the murder and the anger towards Abel. There's sin involved in how he brings his offering to God. We can speculate, speculate about that. And what some of his thoughts may be. And, and, and honestly, I think it's an, it's an interesting engagement of our imagination to try to think, what were all the factors? I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but just let me tell you, we don't really know exactly what it was. One of the, one of the places where my mind w- went is I thought about Eve's temptation in the garden, which has some of it, it has its roots in doubting God's goodness and abundance. So it was the temptation of scarcity, Like, there's not enough. I mean, suddenly Eve was tempted, and suddenly everything she had in the garden was not enough. It was that sense of, this is not really enough. That is enough, if I can get that. So there was this temptation that was happening that was sort of this temptation of scarcity that God wasn't going to provide enough. And I thought about Cain, and I thought about how hard he was having to work now. Because we know from the curse that was um, delivered after um, Adam and Eve ate from the tree... The, this is not, gardening is no longer easy work. It's really hard work. So I, I was imagining Cain worked really hard and he had this harvest and he's thinking, he's looking at the good stuff and he's looking at the, hmm, and he's probably like, I think I'm going to keep that for myself. I mean, you know, what, what were his thoughts that caused him to bring an offering, but it clearly wasn't the best. It wasn't what God wanted. And we don't know all the details of that. We can look at the Mosaic Law, and we understand how it was very clear in the Mosaic Law that, that the first, and it wasn't just livestock. It was the first wheat, the first fruit, that there would be first offerings. So, but, you know, of course the Mosaic Law hadn't come yet, but we don't know. But we know that there was something not right in Cain's heart when he brought that offering to God. Hebrews chapter 11, remember Hebrews last semester, gives us a little bit of a window. Hebrews eleven four, and then verse 6, um, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. And we're going to skip verse 5. We might go back to that next week because it talks about Enoch. And then in verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we know that Cain lacked faith, which is interesting to me because God talks to Cain. (laughs) When we think of a lack of faith, we imagine not being able to know God's there. And I'm like, but Cain knew God was there. But there was something in Cain where he didn't trust God. Um, The rest of the story shows us more and more about his heart. What does God desire when it comes to sacrifice? What does God desire And we know what God desires. The Old Testament tells us over and over again. The prophets tell us. But for most of us, the most familiar one is from the psalm, Psalm 51. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God says over and over again through the prophets to the people of Israel, it's not the things you do. It's not the way you bring that you're following my law and being very specific in how you burn or what you offer. That's not what I care about. What I care about is your heart. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is this zooming out, is this distance that people, the people's heart moves from God. So we know that Cain's heart was not right before the Lord. Hebrews reminds us that Cain did not have faith. And we know from 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, It says, we must not be like, the Apostle John says, we must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. We know later in a few verses from Cain's response when he says, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, how arrogant is that? To God himself, he says, am I my brother's keeper? He was arrogant and he was prideful and he was only concerned for himself. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) It sounds so familiar to me. Cain did not listen to God. Sin had taken such root in his heart that his thoughts and his actions were only evil all the time. And all that he does shows us that he only thought of himself. And when I say that only evil all the time, pay attention. Because you're going to hear that again um, in chapter 6. This sin that had found root, had taken root in Cain's heart, is going to grow and expand and be passed down to generation and generation so that At one time, God is going to look and see that all their intentions are evil all the time. Um, Cain's sinful attitude gives us insight into our own hearts. So the question I have is, do we recognize the temptations that we face? We can look at Cain's and we can imagine, like I said, what were the temptations that Cain faced Do we recognize the temptations that we face? The self-centeredness that drives our behaviors and actions in such a way that we think first not of God and not of those around us, but only of ourselves. In the Bible study this week, um, Jen had that one little section in just the first day or two where she said, who did uh, Adam and Eve sin against in chapter 2? In chapter 3, God. 
And then there's two blanks in the next question. Who does Cain sin against? God and humankind by murdering his brother. Um, And he's driven ultimately by just that self-centeredness, that worship of himself and not God. And I just am so struck at how it is the root sin that I would say, at least I would say for myself, I struggle with. In um, the second part of verse 5, we see Cain's response. It says, when, when his offering is not accepted, Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The story would have taken a completely different turn if at that moment Cain was able to confess, if Cain had confessed what he had done. And here, just as when he set his heart against God in his sacrifice, so he'd already done that in the sacrifice, he'd set his heart against God, so here Cain makes a choice. And here's what I love about this story, and this is the beauty of this story. These are the seeds of redemption. Does God abandon him in his bad choice? No. God shows up. I want to read to you just from a a comment in this Life with God Bible about Cain. It says, as soon as God saw Cain's anger, God warned, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain may not have understood the reason for God's displeasure. He may have viewed God as unjust in favoring Abel, but he had a choice about how to handle his human feelings toward a sovereign God. Through humbling himself and stepping away from his feelings, he could have entered into the discipline of confession, seeking to open himself to God and become right in God's eyes. Confession could have helped him master the sin lurking at the door. But we know that that's not the story. God shows up and he invites Cain to repentance and confession. He says to Cain, he says, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. And radio silence. No response from Cain. We see that God has come to him, and of all things, God has invited him in to confession and repentance, and there's no sound. He lets lets us know, God lets us know that we are his And that if we remain in him, he's saying this to to Cain, and we hear it now. If we remain in him, we will bear fruit and we will live in his abundant grace. John 15 tells us, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. These are the words that we have 
And I'm so thankful for these words because it's almost like what God said now through Christ has been expanded and we have been invited in and we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, a couple more um, quotes that aren't mine from someone else. There's um, some saint whose name's Alphonsus Liguori, or maybe it's, I don't know who he is, but anyway, I can't pronounce his name. So um, it's not one I recognize. He explains how confession works. For a good confession, three things are necessary. An examination of conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. Cain needed first to look honestly inside himself. He needed to see he needed to see his heart toward God for what it was. Upon seeing himself honestly, Cain needed to express sorrow. In Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, he describes this type of sorrow as deep regret at having offended the heart of the Father. Foster warns that the sorrow involved in confession must reside deeper than at the merely emotional level. Rather, the needed sorrow must come as an intentional decision of the will. And finally, Cain needed a determination to avoid sinning. He needed to yearn for holiness. If at this point in the process of confession he still did not want to avoid sin, he needed at least the desire to avoid sin. Just as Jesus taught about the mustard seed, the smallest bit of faith can move mountains so also with confession. God can work with even a fledgling effort at avoiding sin. God, in this moment, is inviting Cain to confession and repentance. And it is here in these verses that we need to zoom out. It is here in these verses that we, sisters, can rejoice that we live on this side of the serpent's head being crushed. And we can cry out when we find ourselves wrestling with evil as Cain was. And because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can pray like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. And we can say, in Romans 7, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the zoom out of where we are. And we can hear um, in 1 John we know these words that are so familiar to us in 1 John, and we can claim these same words. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can listen to God. When we have those moments where we, we have that inkling that we've sinned or that we're about to, we need to pay attention because what we know is we have the Holy Spirit and God is working in us to draw us into confession. The Holy Spirit is here among us. He's in each of you. We have him with us. 
Christ died so that we could have his spirit always speaking to us. He tells us that in John 16. I have to go so that the the advocate can come. He goes so that we might be even more empowered as we face our sin. We live in this beautiful in-between time. We still live in a broken and fallen world. Sin is not gone. We are broken and we have fallen. We stumble every day. But thanks be to God that he speaks to us and we only have to listen. I love these verses in Isaiah. This has just become one of my favorite verses this year. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 29, the prophet says, And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. I love that. I love that picture of the Lord behind me. And whichever way I turn, there's a voice that's telling me, This is the way. Walk in it. In that same chapter in Isaiah, um, the prophet says to the people, he says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. If I had any encouragement this morning, I actually am um, I'm dipping a little bit into some Catholic uh, stuff that I'm reading lately, and there was this great uh, paragraph in this book that I'm reading about examine and some tips on examine. And I thought about reading that paragraph, and I was like, ah, I hate programs. I hate when people say, if you just do this. But um, that whole idea that we have the spirit, and, and, and I guess my words of encouragement to you would be to listen. Take time to listen. And in this particular exercise of examine, this writer says, find a space, anywhere, any kind of space that you can have, and stop and think back on the moments that you've lived in the day or morning and ask yourself this question. Have I drawn, did that event, did that thing help me draw near to God or did it push me farther away? And if it helped you draw near to God, thank God for his grace and his work in your life. But if it pushed you away, if you felt yourself moving away from God in that moment, stop and confess and ask for strength to repentance. Um, And the Holy Spirit will meet you. And we're just assured of that throughout scripture. Uh, Then we see in verses 8 and 9, and I hate to zip through the last part of this story, but um, in verse 8, Cain says to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field... Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. That's it. And then the Lord says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? We know that God knows, right? And yet again, God is pursuing Cain. Again, he's giving Cain that chance. Where is your brother Abel? And this story is so dramatic to me because of what Cain says. Am I my brother's keeper? sarcasm, and Jen talks about this in the video, sarcasm, really, to the Lord God Almighty. It's so blatant. It's like, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, you can just almost hear the tone in his voice. And, you know, Cain's dead in the field, and he has the nerve to say that to God Almighty. It's stunning almost. And yet we know that this is the beginning. This is the beginning. We can look around us today if we feel like, well, I don't talk to God like that. 
then look around you and notice that we live in a world today where why would people even, most people don't even think about God, and much less if they do, they're not speaking lovingly in how they might, if they were even to speak to God. This type of arrogance is a part of who all of mankind is becoming in this moment when Cain utters those words, am I my brother's keeper? But God's not done and that's what we rejoice in. This story is going to, we're going to zoom out. The end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, we're really going to zoom out. And we're going to look at Cain's descendants. And we're going to see what's happening there. And then we're going to zoom into Seth. And we're going to see some of the wonderful things, the wonderful threads that God does in the line of Seth. His, his mercy's not done. He shows up again and again. And just as he did in chapter 3, he asked that question that he already knows the answer to. And he's inviting Cain in. And then in verses 10, he responds. The Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. God pronounces in this moment his justice to Cain. Cain has cared nothing for mankind. He's cared nothing for his brother. Guess what? He is now going to be a wanderer. He's now going to be distanced from community and he's going to be pushed out even further than Adam and Eve were. And what is Cain's response? Cain says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, the very thing that he had been working. He no longer has that as a job. He's a wanderer now. We could equate it to maybe like a nomad. He's not going to be working the land. He says, um, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. So his response is anger and complaint. Really, God? Really? This is, this is way too harsh. And I love what we, say, what we see in verses 15 and 16 because we see these two things happening at the same time, mercy and justice. Sometimes we think mercy and justice oppose one another, but I think we can see in God's response here them working together. God is just because of what Cain has done. And he also offers Cain mercy in the midst of his justice because he says this, he says, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which means the land of wandering, east of Eden. We see God's mercy and we see God's justice. We don't Again, it's, it's let your imagination, did he have like a tattoo on his, I don't, I don't know what it was, but there was something that when people saw him, they would have known his story and God protected him from, from vengeance from other people. It's almost, and I think Jen referenced that, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God, God's judgment will come. We're going to get to chapter, the rest of chapter four and chapter five, and we're going to catch that phrase, and he died because death is coming for all mankind, but God is protecting Cain as he walks on this earth. We now live on the other side of this story. The seeds of redemption we see begin here, but now they have borne fruit, and so we are blessed with the gift of forgiveness in Christ. I would love for you, when you're in your small groups today, to read together Psalm 32. 
it is, I think it, it's just a great psalm to read this morning in light of what we've talked about, what I hope that we've shared about confession and forgiveness. And then I would like to read to you, um, there's a, I love this poet Malcolm Geit. You probably, if you've hung around black no long enough, you've, you've heard us talk about him, and he's actually been here a couple times. But he wrote, uh, and he actually, I think, composed this maybe during the pandemic, or he wrote this uh, collection of sonnets called David's Crown, where he wrote a sonnet about each psalm. And so I would just like to, I would like for you to read Psalm 32, but I want to read to you his sonnet about Psalm 32, um, because I think it connects with so much of what we're saying today. In your deep silence and your mystery, you led me to confess and be forgiven. You gave me the relief of honesty. How long and bitterly I might have striven with all the guilt that I could hardly name. How painfully my heart might have been riven by hidden memories and secret shame. Instead, you blessed me with a new beginning, unbound me from the bands and brands of blame, my false accounts of losing or of winning, and called me to come forth like Lazarus and start my life again, rejoicing, singing, Baptized and born in your mysterious and all-involving love, a love that lifts, a love that comforts and embraces us. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word and for your scripture. Let our inability to ever perfectly love you, O God. Drive us daily to the arms of Christ, wherein the enormity of your mercy and the scandal of such grace lavished upon us would birth in all of us a new and greater affection for you and a new and greater desire to do that which pleases you. Somehow, use even our weaknesses for your glory. Amen.